0: Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be recapping Winnipeg's game against the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the last games on their homestand, and kind of taking a look at some of the news that broke for the Jets this weekend, because to be quite honest, it's not been a great 72 hours for Winnipeg. We'll get through the uh, the crappy part of the news first, which is that... um, Brian Little has been shut down for the rest of the season. He had some decent test results, they were saying, coming back after his initial injury and rehabilitation were underway, but it sounds like that there were some complications and they didn't want to push him. I think he's still experiencing some senses of vertigo from his ruptured eardrum and some concussion-like symptoms, which, to me, that's not a great sign. It's been several months since Brian Little last played hockey, and I feel like if he's still going through this stuff then I'm kind of starting to wonder what his long-term health situation is like. You know, I I think that at some point there does need to be a discussion about whether or not Little is actually going to be healthy enough to come and play for the Jets again. If this stuff continues to persist for the rest of the year and even beyond, then I think Little needs to think about hanging up the skates. You know, his health is certainly more important than playing the sport. It would be a really sucky way for his career to end, but, you know, in, in hockey there are so many freak accidents and things that happened. I mean, just recently, Jay Bomeister had to have uh, an artificial defibrillator implanted in his heart after he collapsed on the bench due to a, a cardiac emergency, so, you know, obviously taking care of your health and, and being safe and healthy is more important than anything else. Of course, we wish Brian Little a speedy recovery and hope to see him back in, in Jets Navy sometime in the near future, but... I wouldn't want him to push it either. If he's not feeling well and if he's not going to be healthy and if he re, uh, risks re-injuring himself and then worsening his condition, then obviously I think there's most sensible choices for him to call it quits and uh, just, just, you know, retire where he is. And it'd be really unfortunate of course, but I think that Realistically speaking, this may be the best course of action going forward. Coming back from the kind of injury he did is going to be a little bit difficult. I know I say little bit, but it's obviously very, very extremely difficult. He has surgery to repair his ruptured eardrum, which has a timeline recovery of at least three months. So we'll see. I know a lot of the Jets are taking it pretty hard, and I'm sure that he's taking it hard himself. So we'll see how he does. If he If he can recover and come back to Winnipeg, you know, at least to be a third-line player or something. Hopefully he's healthy enough for a little more. We'll see. Also of note, before tonight's game, Winnipeg decided to do something of a line reshuffling. Andrei Chibisov is inserted on the third or fourth line. It's uh, the fourth line with Nick Shore and Gabriel Bork, which is kind of interesting because, you know, Chibasov is a big kid, He hasn't really played much on North American ice. This is his first season overseas. And he has some unique traits that make him an interesting pick for this bottom six. He's an expiring asset, so at this point the Jets kind of want to see what he's got and if he can be a little bit more than someone like Logan Shaw. I thought he looked pretty good in preseason and training camp, so I'm excited that he's getting his NHL debut. And uh, hopefully he has a, a more successful run than some of the other fourth liners Winnipeg has signed. Yono Luoto wasn't exactly stellar, to say the least, so... My uh, my hope is that Chibisov brings a little more offense and a bit more skill in conjunction with his big frame to create a little more offense, even though he's going to have only a few minutes of ice time. The top line is currently going to be Ehlers, Shifley, and Cop, which in theory is fine, I just don't really like putting all of your play-driving talent on one unit. Cop should definitely be with Shifley, but I'd prefer uh, another scoring winger to pair on that line so that you can have Ehlers with uh, one of Wheeler or somebody else somebody who actually needs help transitioning the puck. Maybe Liney, I think, would be a, a good pairing. The third line has probably seen the most reworking, and that's going to be Harkins, Roslovic and Appleton, which is an intriguing unit. We'll see how it pans out. Roslovic at center previously hasn't been so good, so tonight will be a, a big statement for that unit. The third line with Andrew Kopp has historically been very good for the Jets. Kopp has a unique forechecking and, and skilled two-way game that I think has anchored this bottom six for many games. With Cop now moved up to the top six, where he actually rightfully deserves that promotion, I kind of wonder how the Jets are going to handle that ice time distribution for the bottom unit, because now you're going to have to ask guys um, probably to take some of Cop's PK minutes and stuff like that. Andrew will also have quite a bit to prove, because he's now going to be playing on the top line with Shifley, and I feel like that's a lot of pressure for a dude who historically hasn't really had all that many top six looks. He's most certainly earned it, but as far as whether or not he can run with it, kind of remains to be seen. I feel like a second-line deployment is probably the most ideal situation for him, but, you know, Shifley needs somebody on his wing who can help him with defensive work and transitioning the ice. Cop, along with Ehlers, should definitely be able to facilitate that, and Cop is a pretty underrated passer and shooter, so we'll see if he can find himself in some better spaces and hopefully collect a few points. If nothing else, it might just get Shifley out of the doghouse he's been putting himself in as of late, because like Mark has been, to me, really hard to watch. I feel like Shifley is like a really fantastic shooter and all, but all of his other skill sets have really been nullified by the way he's being used right now, and the fact that he's just not really playing up to his standards. I also kind of worry about that second line of Connor, Wheeler, and, and Liney because I feel like if if Shifley wasn't really able to help Connor and Liney all that much, then I'm not exactly sure what Wheeler is going to do. I feel like that line's going to get caved in defensively. Connor's like the only guy with a whole lot of foot speed. Um, I guess the the one positive is maybe Wheeler will pass more to line than Shifley does, but beyond that, I'm not really thinking that that unit's going to be all that effective. I am also definitely not looking forward to a defensive unit of Lucas Ibiza and Nate Beaulieu together. I feel like that that pairing is going to get absolutely trashed. And then, of course... Morrissey is now with Tucker Pullman, which feels not really ideal. I think that Morrissey-Pionk is the best that you've got for your first pairing. I I know that Neil is obviously not an ideal first-pairing guy. I think he's more capably at a second-pairing, number-four kind of role. But, you know, Winnipeg's defense right now doesn't really have the option of being picky. And I think Tucker Pullman has proven time and again that he's probably not capable of of handling first-pairing minutes. There's a chance that Josh Morrissey isn't really either, but, you know, again, Winnipeg doesn't really have any other options. They're just going to have to ride what they have, so putting Pullman in in Pionk's place to me is probably not the right decision. I understand why Maurice thinks that he has to, but I think, if anything, Pullman's probably proven that he needs to be relegated more towards second-pairing or third-pairing minutes have to say the uh, the Blackhawks and the Jets sure know how to open a, a pretty fast game and I would say that both teams traded a lot of early chances especially in the first period if in games past Winnipeg was known for slow starts and kind of coming out of the gates a little bit behind the ball tonight they did a little bit of that especially in like the first five minutes but after a while the Jets did start to find some of their footing and get a little bit faster and I feel like just Maurice swapping the lines and and changing things up a lot probably had something to do with a little bit of a slower start out of the gates. The Jets weren't really getting dominated or anything, but Hellebuck had to be sharp on a few early, uh, pretty good chances and shots, especially from the uh, the central area where you know you don't really want to give up opportunities to a team like Chicago who aren't really great but have enough talented shooters to give you issues. Thankfully, uh, Winnipeg started to kind of climb back into this and and create a few opportunities. I think. The third line was probably the most effective out of all of them. The top six was eh, not super great. I think that uh, the first line is fine, but Cop is kind of not really complimentary in the way that I was hoping with Shifley. I think that Cop is very good at what he does, but um, one issue that kind of came up is that he and Shifley sometimes, I don't know, it seemed like there was a little bit of confusion as to whose responsibilities were what, and so... You know, if Shifley is used to playing as, say, like a a center and Cop does the same thing, sometimes they would kind of overlap in responsibilities and I don't think it was as effective as the Jets were probably hoping for. But Cop was able to find a few opportunities around the net and get in pretty close and, and generate some nice uh, net front opportunities that had somebody been around to help cash in on it, the Jets probably would have collected a goal or two. In the past, people have said that Cop has stone hands, but tonight I don't think that was the issue. I just think that Crawford was, uh, generally speaking, on on close opportunities, really good tracking, and really aggressive positioning, which is kind of a hallmark of what his his usual MO is. Despite a a pretty even first period, uh, Chicago ended up being the one to strike first, and this one was kind of fluky, I felt. Uh, Chicago came in on the zone entry with a right wing, you know, kind of streaking down the side, and the wing passed towards the center where Ryan Carpenter was kind of like, on the side of, the left side of uh, the, the net, towards the short side where Hellebuck was, and somehow the puck like deflected off of um, an area right above the blade, and deflected up and over Hellebuck's shoulder. It's one of those things where you can't really stop it. I think like Hellebuck would have had to have taken a pretty impossible angle in order to keep that puck from going in, so it's one of those things where I just sort of shrugged and was like, eh, you know, you can't really do anything about it, not really a big deal. Cool looking goal, I'm not gonna lie, but Very unfortunate for the Jets. It's not like Chicago didn't earn it or anything, but I think that, generally speaking, Winnipeg had a slight edge, especially late in the first period, and so I was a little bit surprised that Chicago ended up breaking the ice first. I think that's more a little bit of poor luck uh, and some shots that went wide, and also Crawford tracking the rest and being able to shut down some of Winnipeg's top shooters. Thankfully, the second period saw Winnipeg's resurgent end towards the first only continue and actually build for the Jets, and uh, a lot of that came from Winnipeg's third line. That Roslovic Harkins, and Appleton unit straight up clicked, which we, everyone was calling the Moose line on Twitter because that's what the line was more or less when all three were on the Moose Uh, just last season, really, or maybe it was two years ago. I don't know, man. Time flies by when you're having fun, but as far as the Jets are concerned, I think this is the first time that all three have actually played together in the NHL, and that line was seriously clicking. I mean, they were really good. They were creating a ton of net front chaos, and Harkins and Appleton have some defensive impact, so Roslevic is kind of free to create his own offense and just sort of look for passing lanes, um, going to the net, looking for the bigger guys on his flanking sides. And Roslevic, for the first time this season, looked genuinely comfortable as a center, which he hasn't looked in years, actually. He hasn't looked like a center for the Jets at any point uh, over the past couple of seasons. So for him to have a ton of comfort with the kids immediately, for me, is a great sign because that's ideally what you want to have going forward. Kopp is a really good stabilizing force in light of Little being out for the rest of the season. So having Having a, a guy who can play third-line center until Lowry comes back is really ideal. And honestly, I think my preference is if that unit is allowed to stay together and, and Lowry can become your fourth-line center and have uh, basically two third-lines running, I feel like that's the ideal situation if the Jets needs a little more defensive help and they can't get any on the uh, blue line. In recent times, the Jets have needed more depth scoring, and tonight they really got it. The first goal was a nice little deflection, This one coming courtesy of Mason Appleton deflecting a a Beaulieu point shot. That line had been buzzing already, but then, you know, they ended up getting a nice little payoff with a great deflection that Crawford just really didn't have an opportunity on. Winnipeg has tried to deflect point shots before, but usually they don't have much effectiveness. But this line was all around Crawford from really weird angles, trying to tip shots, um, create nice seams where a lot of net front pre-shot cross seam movement would give Crawford issues. Uh, Towards the end of the period, that line again found another deflection, this one from Jack Roslevic off of a Kulikov point shot. You're kind of noticing a theme with the Jets. Uh, This line again was creating a ton of offensive zone pressure, and again, they had a nice little dirty tip that found its way through. And really, this line can do stuff like just barrel towards the net at, at high speeds and use physicality to muscle their way into the box, or they can tip point shots, apparently, and beat goalies from weird angles. They were positively buzzing all throughout this entire period, and it's nice to see the Jets have some versatility in their depth scoring, which is something that they didn't really have before. Unfortunately, uh, Winnipeg's defensive issues, some of which came from the Sabisa Bolu pairing, some of which just came from some decent passes and stuff from the Blackhawks splitting guys like Shifley and Kulikov apart, ended up leading to a Patrick Kane goal right before the second period bell ended. And it's kind of frustrating because because I felt like the Jets were doing pretty okay and doing really well until that goal. And it's just one of those mental errors that, you know, Shifley gets gapped a little bit. Um, Pionk is coming on the back track, has no idea Kane is on his rear. He sees him for a second but doesn't recognize where the threat is as soon as Taves beats Shifley and Kulikov. In my mind, Taves is basically telegraphing the pass because there's no shot with both Kulikov and Shifley there, and the pass towards the center area isn't really available either. So the only guy who's going to be in range is going to be Kane coming in on the right flank. Pionk never seemed to recognize that Kane was going to kind of cut in around his back end and beat him very cleanly. Pionk, you could actually tell the exact moment where he was like, oh, crap, I missed it. And, you know, by then it's too late. Kane's already in and scoring. So, unfortunately, that's... That's the kind of defensive miscue that's bitten the Jets multiple times this year, and it'll probably keep happening, but as long as the Jets can kind of outscore their issues, it is what it is. I mean, you're going to expect the Jets to lose more games than they win. That's the reality. If they can play more wide-open hockey like this, though, I think they have a decent opportunity of at least being an equal and competitive squad to their opponents. Speaking of opportunities, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I'm sure you've heard about all of the great advertising opportunities available with the Locked On Podcast Network. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to connect to local Winnipeg Jets fans in your area. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Winnipeg Jets fans on a routine basis. Locked On listeners are as hardcore and passionate about the Winnipeg Jets as you are. If your company wants to connect with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then please shoot us a message as soon as possible. Local fans love supporting local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and drop us a line. Our advertising team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of on advertising success. Once again, be sure to text ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. The final 20 minutes saw a pretty even end to the game, with the Chicago Blackhawks doing a little bit of pushing to try and find the go-ahead goal. But fortunately for us Jets fans, it was actually Winnipeg who struck first in the period. Nate Beaulieu deflected one off of, uh, I think it was Alex DeBrincat or something. This one, yet again another distance point shot that seemed to knuckle and catch Crawford unaware. The goal ended up being enough to keep the Jets within the lead for the remainder of the period, and even though Chicago had a number of pretty decent chances, especially once they pulled the goalie, Winnipeg ended up holding pretty firm. Overall, I'd say I was pretty happy with this effort. After two very stinky games in the past week, the Jets looked a lot more like their former selves when they were winning games against uh, St. Louis and a few other teams. Since the All-Star break, Winnipeg is something like 5-2-1, which is uh, actually a pretty good streak considering the Jets haven't really been all that great this season. Barring a couple of notable instances over this past stretch, Winnipeg has actually played like a competent NHL team, and tonight they looked more like they should, which is a good sign if you want to have momentum going into Tuesday against the LA Kings. Winnipeg, you know, can be a decent team, but I think what was more surprising was just how good the third line was, and uh, Josh Morrissey looking a little more like himself tonight. Paul Maurice was quick to note that this was probably Morrissey's best game of the season, and considering how Morrissey has played this year, I don't think that that's a particularly high bar to clear, but I would say that Josh was more of what we expect. I thought his positioning was better, his reads seemed to be a little more timely, He was able to cut off passing lanes and uh, had a little bit more inside positioning against opposing forwards than he has in the past. He had a few moments where he still looked a little iffy, and a couple of his passes, I think especially across the crease, were uh, a bit risky and dangerous, but ultimately, you know, no harm done. If nothing else, he just looked a little more, I guess, up to speed and on pace, which is sort of unusual for him this season because he's looked a step behind in almost all of the other games. Chicago isn't exactly a slow team either, so him being able to keep up pace is a pretty decent sign of things to come. Obviously, I'm going to measure my expectations and not get too too ahead of myself. I think that Chicago is a pretty bad team, and even though they were able to create quite a few high-danger opportunities against the Jets, I feel like, you know, I don't know if this is a really great gauge of where the Jets are at this point. I think Winnipeg just needs to take care of business as best as it can, and uh, ultimately hope that the Preds kind of stumble, because right now, Nashville currently has a two-game advantage over the Jets, same amount of points, but both teams still trail Arizona and Calgary for the final two wildcard spots, so it's going to be a bit of a tough one. Calgary is most in danger of slipping out. I think that they've played a couple more games than both the Jets and the Preds, and uh, I just feel like they're a little bit inconsistent. They're certainly a lot better all around than the Jets, but they also have some defensive issues that have cost them in a number of games in recent times. Arizona might also have issues going forward if Taylor Hall doesn't get going, and I feel like their situation is very tenuous. Like, the entire Western wildcard playoff race is kind of a hot mess right now. You could convince me that, like, five or six different teams might take the final wildcard spot, and I don't know that I'd really field an argument against either of them, if only because... None of the teams that they're going to compete against are all that great. And with the West generally being as weak as it is, it is a pretty open field, especially for these final two spots in the playoff picture. And like, you know, either of these teams could go on a hot streak during the playoffs with some really great goaltending. And I think that that, to me, signals the fact that the Jets probably shouldn't do a whole lot at the trade deadline. Um, I think that that if they can acquire somebody like Dylan DeMello, as I've been uh, mentioning in other podcasts, I think that he's the most sensible option and DeMelo would help us stabilize our third-pairing D situation pretty handily. I don't know if the Jets now feel pressure to win now, because Paul Maurice is extended, and at this point the team isn't really going to have many reinforcements from elsewhere, but at least for the time being, the Jets are getting help from guys like Janssen Harkins, and potentially Chibisov going forward, so, you know, if Winnipeg can kind of insource some defensemen too, like Dylan Sandberg signing would be nice, uh, or or maybe even giving Leon Gavanki a look if he if he's ready to take the next step. I wouldn't mind seeing what's in Winnipeg's storehouse because right now the current situation is Niku, Sabisa and Boteto are probably not NHL caliber defensemen. Niku can be at some point. I think he's got the puck movement ability and certainly the offensive skill but of course his defensive acumen's definitely lacking. You would need to put him with someone like Kulikov or Morrissey to kind of stabilize his defensive lapses, and I'm not sure that Maurice trusts him enough to do that, so for the time being we kind of have to pencil him out of the picture. Unfortunately, that does leave Sabisa, Bolu, and Boteto as your other options, and none of those guys are particularly good, so I I would rather have Niku, who's very risky and and kind of only one-dimensional as far as uh, defensive acumen is concerned, then three guys that we know really have no upside to improve. Sabis has been pretty brutal himself as of late, and I would rather Niku give, be given the uh, the room to, to make mistakes and fail, at least to, to grow and see if he has the ability to do more for this team than what he is right now. For now, though, the Jets will probably be a bit passive unless somebody comes to them with a decent offer, and I think that that's probably the best way to approach this. Just wait out the trade deadline, see if there's a cheap deal somewhere, and kind of go from there. All right, folks, thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.